all right, this morning we are going to finish Philemon, and we will finish Philemon today. Um, next week we'll go to 2 John, those of you who like to read ahead. I don't think we'll spend as long in 2 John because there isn't as much background that needs to be talked about that's as important for the book. Um, so my goal is to do that in one week, but we'll see. Sometimes my goals don't happen. Um, for those of you who haven't been here, I want to do a very, very brief review, um, and, and then we'll move on. We are going to get into the, the core of Paul's argument to Philemon as to why he should be forgiving, actually accepting Onesimus back. Um, Philemon is written to a man, Philemon, from the Apostle Paul. Philemon is a wealthy man, probably. He is uh, the one who, he's a pillar of his church in Colossae. <coughs> his, uh, the church meets in his home. The things that Paul says about him are really encouraging. He is a, um, a, uh, a tested um, man of God. He also owns slaves, and one of his slaves named Onesimus has run away, probably stolen from him. We're not sure of that, but it sure is implied. And Paul was basically writing a letter to uh, Philemon to restore Onesimus. Onesimus has managed to run into Paul in prison, cross paths with Paul. Paul was probably in prison in Rome. Some people think he's in Ephesus. Doesn't really matter. Um, but that Onesimus has become a Christian through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And so Onesimus is going back not just as a runaway slave, but as a brother in Christ. And that's the point of the book. Philemon is writing that. The, the main lesson in Philemon really is forgiveness, that we are to forgive. And that was what we talked about last week. The first week we talked about slavery in Rome and why Paul doesn't hit the issue more head on with slavery. I think somebody's trying to get in this door here. It needs to get propped open. Just a second. There we go. Okay. Try and prop it when you come in so that it doesn't. <coughs> um, so that's all on the first tape. Last week we talked about forgiveness. And we had said that forgiveness um, is the responsibility of a Christian. Actually, responsibility isn't the right word. We are forgiving people. Um, the, the Gospels especially, when, Paul, when Jesus talks, he keeps making a statement which says, if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. Um, and then he tells a parable in the uh, Lord's Prayer. He says, um, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. Um, he tells the parable of the man who is forgiven 10,000 talents and doesn't want to forgive 100 denarii. <clears throat> and at the end of it, Jesus says, so it'll be if you don't forgive, that, that, that God, the Heavenly Father, won't forgive you. I need to point out something. I feel really embarrassed about this. I made a math error last week. Um, the, I think I came up with 48,000, uh, uh, for those who weren't here, 100 denarii, denarii is worth about $8,000. Um, a talent, 10,000 talents, a talent is 6,000 denarii, and then you have to multiply by 10,000. I multiplied by 100,000. It isn't that he owes 48 billion, it's just 4.8 billion. 
okay? So it's 4.8 billion to $80,000. But the point is it's actually uh, 200,000 years worth of work. In other words, when the servant says, I'll repay it. It's like, yeah, right. What, you're gonna live, you know, um, 50, 5,000 lifetimes and pay this off? Really? That's gonna happen? Now, here, here's the pro, and we, then we talked about forgiveness. Uh, here's something I need to say, and I, I've thought about it this week. Um, we do not believe that we work our way to heaven. We don't believe that we forgive our way to heaven. Um, if forgiveness is a work and our salvation depends upon us forgiving, um, I don't think any of us are gonna make it. Somewhere in the past, there's somebody that we forgot to forgive. So I think the intent is, and I think it's the intent of Jesus' parable, is that if you have experienced the forgiveness of God, then your heart will naturally be a forgiving heart. That the mark of a Christian is forgiveness. That as Christians, we do forgive. And sometimes that may take a while. The deeper the hurt, and I know some of you in here have been terribly hurt. Some of you, uh, there's marriages that fall apart. There's children that betray. There's friends who hurt. And sometimes, you know, we get hurt in a way that it makes it difficult for us to forgive. Maybe our pride has been hurt along with it. And we're not just wrestling with forgiveness, but an issue of pride. But what I would say is that if you find yourself in a place where you say, I, I have no desire to forgive this person, I don't want to, and I'm not going to, then you don't know what you've been forgiven. And maybe God has never begun to move in your heart. So forgiveness is a big deal in Philemon, and Paul, I think, is more concerned with Philemon than he is with Onesimus. Paul's in prison. Paul takes beatings for Christ. If Onesimus is punished, Onesimus is punished. But Philemon's heart is in the balance here. So anyways, any comments on the forgiveness before we go on? What does forget involve? How does that involve forgiveness? You know what? I, d I don't know. It's hard for us to forget. But I think every time you bring it back up, you probably have to re-forgive it. Really? Because I mean, I don't know about you, but there's been situations where something will spark and I can relive the whole thing, right? I, the whole thing with all the, everything. And then I have to remind myself, wait a minute, I, I've forgiven. <laughs> so I, I think forgetting is part of that, part of, part of that we process. Are we are part human, yes. <laughs> Actually, we're all human and we're all going to be dealing with, with that, so, yes. Um, in Matthew 18, the context of that is that I think we've already forgiven and now we're working toward restoration. I do not believe that every relationship gets restored because you can forgive, but the other person may not 
may not change or may not even want forgiveness. So I think Matthew 18 is saying, how do we restore fellowship with a brother? But the interesting thing is if the brother doesn't repent, then we say you're not a, you're not a brother. But I don't see it as trying to kick people out of the church. I see it as how do we restore? And there were questions about that afterwards. You know, what do we do with somebody who gets in trouble and goes to jail? Well, that's the natural consequence. We may forgive them, but you, you still have to bear the, the penalty for that sin. But our job is to forgive them as we have been forgiven. So, all right, um, let's, let's jump into Philemon. I do wanna go through Paul's argument and we're gonna be pressed for time here because there's a lot to say. Um, but let's read the book one more time. And I, I want you to do something as we read through it. Um, I have said that what Paul is asking for is forgiveness. Actually, that's not exactly what Paul asked for. I want you to try and spot as we read through what Paul is actually asking of Philemon. There's a very specific request that he gives. It's not hard to spot, it's just that when I read through it, oftentimes I just don't even see it, so watch for it. One more time on Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphi, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow work soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I hear you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the heart of the saints has been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be com by compulsion, but out of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer a slave, especially to me, but much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confidence of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say, and at the same time prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, uh, and Luke, my fellow worker. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Okay? Did we spot it? What's he being asked to do? Was that? Uh, yeah, he does ask him to do that, but that's for uh, Philemon to him. What does he ask Philemon to do for Onesimus? Ah, 
Yeah, it's in verse, if you missed it, it's in um, verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Okay? Bring him back in just as you would receive me when he comes. Remember, Onesimus is probably coming and this letter is here, or maybe the letter was sent slightly ahead of time. Um, I don't know about you, but the worst words I could hear on Saturday or during vacation was companies coming. <laughs> because my mom, who was wonderful and nurturing and loving, turned into this taskmaster, right? The house had to be cleaned in places that we knew the company wasn't going to be looking. Um, we had to polish silver, and yes, we actually had to do that. My mom had silver, and we got polished. All of that stuff, right? The house was spotless. Why? Because somebody special was coming. Okay? Um, when Al Moeller came a few weeks ago, he didn't just come and preach and leave. He came, and there was a big to-do for him Saturday night. And then Sunday afternoon, there was another thing, a lunch that was put together, right? And it's just, it's, it's um, all of this stuff that we do when somebody important comes. What's Philemon going to do when Paul comes? How's he going to receive Philemon, or how's Philemon going to receive Paul? They're going to be sitting around at 4.30 and say, well, he's coming at 5. Maybe I ought to go get some hot dogs. There's a feast. This is a, a big to-do. What Paul is asking here is not easy. Receive the runaway slave like you would receive me. Um, and then Paul even goes on to say, and I know you'll do even more than that. <laughs> you, you'll do more than I ask. So what he is asking is for, for Philemon to treat Onesimus exactly as he would treat the apostle Paul. And as I've, as I've worked through this book this week, I have to confess something, uh, actually for the last three weeks. Um, I have always, when I have read Philemon, and normally I'm reading Philemon when I'm reading through the New Testament, and it's so short that you just read through it and forget it, okay? Um, but when I do stop and think about it, I've always kind of seen Paul as twisting Philemon's arm. All these rhetorical tricks, um, saying things, I'm an old man, and I know you're going to do it, and even at the end, I'm going to come visit you, right, to make sure, almost like it's manipulative. And actually, a number of the commentaries I've read have taken that approach, that Paul is actually sort of using all this persuasion to get Philemon to do something that he doesn't want to do. And I, I think that that's actually wrong to approach the book that way. Who's the author of Philemon? And the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't manipulate. The Holy Spirit doesn't twist and get our arm behind our back and say, okay, there you really, okay, good. You said yes. He didn't do it that way. We don't like it when somebody emotionally manipulates us. I, I don't think that's what happened here. I think Paul is absolutely honest throughout the entire book. When he says, I'm not trying to force you, he's not trying to force them. When he says, I believe you'll do this, that's because he actually believes it, okay? Now, you can look at it two different ways, but if you look at it that there's manipulation going on here, it totally changes the whole point of the book. So, um, as I was thinking about this, I realized that the way I've always approached Philemon is this. And I think this is sort of the way that we see forgiveness. 
there's Paul, here's Philemon, and here is Onesimus. And Christ is up here. Christ is our Lord, but Paul is the great apostle. Philemon is a tested man of the faith. Onesimus is a runaway slave. And we see it as Paul instructing Philemon to forgive and Philemon telling being the one who needs forgiveness. And because of that, we see Paul as working toward kind of twisting and forcing Philemon to forgive. I, I don't think this is the picture here at all. I think Paul goes to great lengths in the book of Philemon to um, take this order and completely change it. I think what he's done is this. Here's Christ, and underneath Christ are three men who are in exactly the same position. They are sinners saved by grace. They are brothers in Christ. Paul does not elevate himself above Philemon or Onesimus. And what Paul is asking Philemon to do is to not to elevate himself above Onesimus. That yes, Onesimus might owe Philemon $8,000, but Philemon owes Christ $4.8 billion. From the perspective of here, everybody's the same. And as you go through the book, if you read it that way, you see what Paul is doing. He is constantly downplaying his authority and talking about himself on the exact same level as everybody else. So let me show you that. <clears throat> um, here's how Paul describes himself in the book. Um, in the very first part, first verse, says, Paul, a prisoner, okay? Now, you can say, I'm doing that to tug on your heartstrings, but actually, a prisoner is somebody who has no standing in society, right? This is a, a, a lowly person. And I, what I understand the Greek says, it's actually, there's not the article there, just the book begins, Paul, prisoner. I am a prisoner. And he focuses on that throughout the book, that I'm in prison. He says it actually four times in verses 9, 10, and 13, and in verse 1. Um, when you go to um, verse 9, Paul describes himself as an old man. Okay? Now, um, we don't know how, Paul old, how old he is when he's writing this. Uh, but and you can argue that old man means that I'm I'm call, calling upon you to respect me because I'm older, which would be true in that culture. But it could also just be saying, look, I'm I'm just an old man. I'm an old man and I'm a prisoner, and I'm asking you what to do. I am not pulling out my apostolic authority. I'm not forcing you to do this. I'm appealing to you out of my weakness. I have no special ability to make anything happen. Um, he describes himself in the first verse as a fellow worker with Philemon. He is Philemon's fellow worker. And in verse 17, he describes himself as your partner. I am your partner. Actually, he says, if you consider me your partner, but it's obvious that he considers Philemon to be his partner. And at the end of it, he confesses that he needs prayer. And just like he's praying for Philemon, he expects Philemon to, or he, he believes that Philemon is praying for him. So I, I, you can take those two different ways, but to me what he's doing is presenting himself as just a man. I'm just a man like you are. 
I'm, I'm in prison, I'm old, I need prayer. I consider you a partner. I'm not the apostle who's up here and you're below me, okay? Um, then we see a whole bunch of things where Paul compares himself to, or uh, talks about his relationship with Philemon. In other words, Paul is gonna talk about what I have um, that ties me to you. And then he's going to do the same thing. He's gonna link himself to Onesimus. And the goal is for Paul to be pulled out of here and for Philemon and Onesimus to see what they have in common, what they have that links them together so that the relationship doesn't need Paul mediating. He wants to pull himself out completely. All right, so let me show you that. Um, I want you to see what Paul says about Philemon. And we've now read it many times and we actually taught on it a little bit the one week. Um, we begin, he calls Philemon his fellow worker. In verse four, he tells us that he is thankful for Philemon, okay? And he tells us that he prays for Philemon in verse five. And in verse seven, he tells us that Philemon is a source of great comfort and joy to him. This is a strong bond between them. Uh, in fact, let me, just, let me just put those up here. Um, he's thankful for Philemon. Oops. Um, oh, I got this out of order. He's a fellow worker with Philemon. He prays for Philemon. Um, Philemon brings him joy and comfort, not just to him, but to all the saints, but especially to him, joy and comfort. All right. Um, if you keep going in verse nine, he says, I appeal to you for love's sake, which is interesting. There's a strong enough bond that Paul feels that he can appeal on the basis of the mutual love that they have for each other. I appeal to you for love's sake. Um, so that's in And then he goes on and at the end of the book, he talks about the fact that they are partners. We already looked at that, if you consider me your partner. Um, he talks about how he is a brother to Philemon. Um, and then um, talks about how he knows that Philemon is praying for him, like we just mentioned. So he is a brother a fellow worker, a brother, partner, and actually because he's praying for Philemon and Philemon is praying for him, they are prayer partners. Not just partners in the work, but prayer partners. And finally, he says, I'm gonna be a guest at your house, all right? Um, most of the time, if we have somebody over, we know them, right? So what Paul was doing is establishing this bond between himself and Philemon. And he spends a lot of time doing it. About a third of the book is him reestablishing that relationship that he has with Philemon. All right, what does he say about Onesimus? Well, not nearly as much. And it doesn't start until about verse 10. But he says in verse 10, I appeal to you for who? See, my child. Onesimus is Paul's child. 
And then Paul makes it clear he became his father, spiritual father, during his imprisonment. Um, verse 11, he says, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Onesimus uh, uh, is useful to Paul. Okay. Which wouldn't be that much different than being a fellow worker or a partner, actually. He's useful to Paul. Um, in verse 12, he says, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Okay. There is a strong love relationship between Philemon and Paul, so that when Paul sends him, something is missing. Um, when somebody you love goes away, that's what Paul is describing. You know, my, it's my, a piece of my heart, we say it that way, you know, a little piece of my heart went. Uh, Philemon is his heart. And then he goes on in verse 13 to say that he served me um, while he was with me. So Paul, Philemon has demonstrated, Philemon Onesimus has demonstrated a, um, <clears throat> a servant's heart. He served Paul. And then finally, at the end, he tells us that Philemon is his brother. Okay. So that's who Philemon is. By the way, I need to point out something here that we miss because we read English and not Greek. I don't read Greek either, uh, so I had to be told this. Um, Paul interjects into a very tense letter or a very difficult letter, a bit of humor here. Anybody catch it as we read through? From what I understand, from what I've read, this was a knee slapper. If you had been reading and you had been reading through, there was a verse here that would have caused the whole church to start laughing, whoever was reading, the, reading it. Um, nothing wrong with that. God knows what humor does. You've all been there, haven't you, where you're in the midst of a tense argument and somebody cracks a joke and after that the argument doesn't seem as important, right? Everybody's laughing and then you kind of come back and start to argue and it's like, what are we arguing about, right? <laughs> Um, th there's a point for humor. Well, let me explain the joke. And by the way, when you explain a joke, it's not funny anymore, right? <coughs> Verse 11 is it. It is a double pun. But it's actually really interesting what Paul does here. He says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Now, how in the world could that be funny? Well, what you need to do, I have to take this off of here for right now. We'll put him back in a minute. Um, the word Onesimus means useful. That's the, that's the translation of the name. Um, in other, it was a very common slave name. Like, give it, let, let old useful do it, right? It's kind of like Pilgrim's Progress, where everybody's name means exactly what they are. You know, the pilgrim is named Christian, and he meets Mr. Worldly, who's really worldly, and he meets, right? That's what this is. You named your slave useful. So what does he say? Onesimus, he says, useful was useless, but now he is useful. In other words, he is what he was supposed to be. Okay, now that's not really super funny, but it is a play on words, okay? But here's the interesting thing. There is a synonym for useful. 
and it is Christos. That sound like anything to you? The, the, the word for useful was actually, well, the, the root word was Christos. Now notice it's not with an I, it's with an E, but it's pronounced almost exactly the same. And there was a Christos and you Christos. <clears throat> you Christos means useful, a Christos means not useful. And what he really is saying here is Onesimus, useful, was a Christos, which sounds like not Christian. Uh, a lot of times that word was mistaken. So useful was useless, not like Christ. But now useful is like Christ. He's use, useful again. Onesimus was useless, now he's useful. That's the way we read it. Useful was useless, but now he's useful. But the way they would have heard it was useful was not like Christ, but now he is like Christ. And the play on words was great. The Greeks enjoyed wordplay. They liked puns. This would have been funny. They would have been laughing, but it would have stuck with them. What do we have? Useful is now useful to you again. He's like Christ to you, and he was like Christ to me. So um, nobody's laughing, so I didn't do a good job of explaining the joke. Now we're laughing. Okay, so, but it, it's just kind of interesting. We miss it, but that was a, a double pun that was thrown in there that Paul used, and I think to diffuse the situation. Now, Paul goes on then and links together these two. He's trying to take himself out of the picture. He wants true forgiveness. And so this is what he says in verse 11. This he claims for both of them. He says that Philemon was useless, but now he's useful. So Philemon is I should just do it this way. The relationship between Philemon and Onesimus, Onesimus is now useful to Philemon. <clears throat> He's back to what he should be, in fact, more than what he should be. Um, in verse 13, Paul says that he served for Philemon. And Paul says, Philemon, I know if you had been here, you would have served me. It's as if you sent your servant here and he served on your behalf. So Philemon, uh, Onesimus is actually serving this, I, I shouldn't put this arrow here. Philemon, Onesimus took your place and served for you. And then he talks about how Philemon is his um, was a slave but is now a brother. So he was your slave, he's now your brother. <clears throat> in other words, he's the same thing to you that he is to me. He's my brother in Christ, he's my fellow worker in Christ, he is being used by God in a powerful way. And as a result, Paul doesn't have to be in this picture anymore. Um, so. That is what I see is happening as we go through. There's some other interesting stuff. Um, there's things that maybe don't fit into that scheme perfectly. Um, one thing that I find interesting in the book is that Paul speculates on why this happened. Speculates, he doesn't know, but he speculates that perhaps this is why all this happened. So you would have him back as a brother rather than as a, as a slave. <clears throat> so, 
Uh, by the way, there's something else I want to do here, but any application we can take from this? Say, here's what I think we always do. We see ourselves when we have a hurt, to, when somebody hurts us, we see ourselves like this. We are doing them a favor by forgiving them, right? This is a favor that's being done. Um, I'm, you, you've hurt me. I'm in the place where I can dole out forgiveness or not, but you are definitely below me now. I, I don't think that's how we should see forgiveness at all. Um, every one of us, and this is where I need to put Christ back in here, every one of us is in the same position as Onesimus. Every one of us needs forgiveness and every one of us has been forgiven. We're simply modeling what has happened, but our relationship with each other is not that we're above or below anybody else. And if you have that mindset, you're gonna have trouble forgiving. Uh, that's where our pride then gets mixed in with our forgiveness. That forgiving is a matter of condescending to forgive, as opposed to the natural outflow of the fact that we are brothers in Christ. By the way, I'm only talking about inside of the church. Outside of the church, the same thing. We forgive because we've been forgiven, but this really applies in here. If there's somebody in here who's hurt you, if you have a Christian brother or sister who has um, offended you, uh, maybe it's somebody in your larger circle that's a believer and you're holding on to it, uh, we need to let go of that because we are, we are co-laborers in Christ. We're brothers in Christ. We're meant to serve each other. We're meant to be useful to each other. We're not meant to be in this relationship where I'm above you and you're below me. I think it's a beautiful picture of the entire church, right? I mean, don't we kind of do that? Where, where would we put Pastor Scott? <laughs> right up here, right? And then the rest of us are somewhat below there. E even if we would say deny that, we kind of do that. We put certain people up, but, but, but we're all on the same level. That's the concept of Christian fellowship. Any comments on that before we go on? Okay, let me point out two other interesting things that are in the book of Philemon. Um, the gospel is all through the book of Philemon, um, especially just in the idea that we have been forgiven. Um, I mentioned it at the beginning. Um, I, I think that Paul's main concern is for Philemon, which is why he's not twisting Philemon. He wants true forgiveness. Uh, Philemon to forgive. Um, Onesimus. I think every one of us throughout the course of our lives find ourselves being Philemon and Onesimus, right? We are all the runaway slave who needs forgiveness. We are always the one who has offended the, the father and needs forgiveness. Um, and, and we are always gonna find ourselves sometimes in the place, or not always, sometimes in the place where we have to forgive. Um, the dangerous place is not to be the one who needs forgiveness. The dangerous place to be is the person who is needs to forgive and refuses to do it okay um, that's that is the place where paul was concerned about philemon if you don't forgive anesimus then then you're 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 spiritually you go bankrupt because you're denying that entire loan all what god did for you um, so that's an important part of philemon
Um, I always saw it as an, as an appeal from Phi Paul to Philemon for forgiveness, but it's really an appeal from Paul to Philemon to, to be like Christ, to actually forgive, not just Onesimus, but to be willing to forgive, period, this person. Um, but the other thing that I saw in here that I think is really interesting is I think the picture of the gospel is really pr clearly presented. The principle of what happened at the cross, which we call double imputation. Everybody know what I mean when I say double imputation? Okay. Cheryl, you want to tell us? Yeah, double imputation to impute means to place upon. When Christ died on the cross, he gave us his, he took our sins, we all know that, but he also gave us his righteousness. So there was a, a swap. Um, it could have been that we just gave Christ our sins and then from then on we had to live out our own righteousness, but that's not what happens. He takes, we take, he takes our sin and we take his righteousness. So there's a double swap. I think that double swap is in this book. Look what Paul says in verse 17. Um, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Well, it's a stop. What does Christ say in heaven? Why is it that we can approach the throne of God boldly, like it tells us in Hebrews? Well, it's because when God looks at us, he sees Christ. God receives us as he receives his son. He receives us as spotless and righteous before him. Okay? Receive him as you would receive me. And he's actually putting uh, Ones Philemon sort of in the place of God. Uh, in the analogy, he isn't, but in the place of God. And Paul is like Christ. Paul is saying, here's Onesimus, he has sinned against you. Receive him as you would receive me. And then what? If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, what? Charge that to my account, okay? So Philemon needs forgiveness, but what he really needs is be able to, a relationship with, with uh, Philemon. Onesimus needs that. Paul says, see him as you would see me and take his sins and place them upon me. Take what he owes and put it on me and take my, whatever I have, and see him that way. And of course, we have a much greater picture of that in the cross. Christ says to the Father, receive them as you would receive me and take all of their sin and put it upon me. That's the picture of salvation, and that is what Paul is urging here, is that Philemon is going to act that way. He's going to forgive for that particular reason. So uh, that finishes Philemon. There's a lot more you could probably do, but um, I think that's a good, uh, a good book, a good one to think about and to ponder um, how it is that we forgive, this mindset that we don't see ourselves as above others. We see ourselves always at the foot of the cross with everybody else. Um, there's an interesting story that I read this week, actually last week. Um, and I've heard m multiple stories like this over the years, but this one, um, and I don't even know if it's true, okay? I'll just be honest. It might be some sermon illustration, but the story was told of a, of a minister, or a, it was in the Church of England, and there was a barrister, a judge, one of the ones who wears the big white wigs. And 
and he was at the, the church and they were serving communion and at, when they did the communion, they would, two of them would come up and kneel down and the, the priest would, the Anglican priest would give them the, the wafer and then a sip of the, the wine. What so happened that this barrister who was a stalwart member of the church happened to be kneeling next to a man that he had put in prison years before for some horrible crime. And the two of them are kneeling there before the cross before the, the sacrifice. And afterwards, the minister said to the, um, the, the barrister, that was the most amazing picture of God's grace I've ever seen. And the barrister said, it sure was. He goes, but who are you referring to? And he said, well, I was referring to the fact that that man that you put in prison was kneeling next to you. And he said, I would have seen it the other way around. Now, being English, I'm sure he said that a whole lot better than I did. But, but I, I would have seen it the other way around. He said, um, I was raised in a wonderful family. We had wealth. We had power. We had everything that you could humanly have. I was able to go to the best schools. I was able to have anything I want. He said, that man came out of the dregs of society. He said, that man had nowhere else to go but Christ. He said, for me, um, the fact that Christ was able to rescue me out of my wealth and power and privilege is a greater miracle than what he did for that man, or as great a miracle. He said, I don't see it as, as the miracle being that he was saved and I, that, that, that's not at all. And that's the picture that we have. We're, we're the same at the foot of the cross. We all have taken God's righteousness and, he, we've, and he given him our sin. And he's asking us to act the same way toward those who are in the church with us and outside of the church. That forgiveness is one of the most powerful testimonies to what God has done for us. Okay. Any comments on Philemon before we finish the book? Okay, let's go ahead and pray. 